This is Movies, a podcast about the active cinema. And with me today for our 300th episode of the program, he was just telling me he had to give his mother's dog an enema. It's Hans. Hans, how are we doing tonight? Yeah, good. It was it was pills through the mouth, but yeah, I I had to help with that because it's a it's an old 16 year old dog that probably should have died a couple of years ago already uh and he won't let anyone touch his mouth with the like three teeth that he has left so he just he was just biting and scratching my mother so i had to step in as the only able man in this house (laughs) since my dad is all fucked up so your dog was trying to abuse your mother and you had to step up as the man of the house yeah absolutely not you're not gonna lay your fingers on my mother that's right it's a little, it's a little Yorkie too. So it's not even like, it's not even like a menacing. Oh dog damn! I was imagining like a greyhound or something. Well, you know, he's kind of like the pet dog of this show. We have back with us Detective Wolfman on the line. Detective Wolfman, how are you doing this evening? Welcome back. Thank you. I'm doing very well. I'm very flattered and excited to be here for the 300th episode. Thank you so much. Of course. After a whole year where you had not been on the show, and then you come on the show for 299 for Silver Bullet, here we are, episode 300, back-to-back. Very few people, very few guests have been allowed back-to-back appearances. You're in a very exclusive club here, Wolfman. I'm happy to be there. Well, we're happy to have you back for this episode to discuss more Stephen King. Just in time for Halloween, we're going to be talking about Dr. Sleep. Oh, I was just going to say that uh, this is like, you know, a a true knot that's tied. A dog's knot. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Like Rose, I'm quoting Rose the Hat, by the way. I, I know you guys didn't get that quote. But it's oh, no, the... I got it. Oh, okay. The All True right. Knot is their group, their traveling yeah. carnival band Circus. that goes yeah. around eating children's souls. And boy, are they very desperate for that soul energy that exits the body once somebody dies. Yeah, they should be called Munster and Sons because that's what they look like. Their outfits are really off-putting. That they look like a a neo-folk band out of Austin. Everyone's a different race, right? Everyone's just very diverse cast of characters. Is it though? I feel like you've got some gypsy characters in there. You got the tall man from Twin Peaks who pops up in the red room, the uh, the Black Lodge rather. And you've got uh, like there's a Native American guy who pops up on a bunch of AMC shows. I feel like. Mm-hmm. He's a mainstay for that. I don't. I don't know if it's that diverse, Hans. No, there's white... yeah, there's a there's a few white people, but there's uh there's uh there's not Rosario Dawson. Uh, there's not Anna Kachin. Uh, there's a Pajit in there. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a fair mix, and it's led by a shanty Irish whore. So I mean, it's a pretty pretty diverse group. Yeah, but worst I, of all, I'm glad you brought up the hat because. Immediately, I was annoyed because they call her Rose the Hat. Everybody in this group has a fucking hat. That's why why Hans and I are both wearing hats tonight. Yeah. Why is she the hat? Because it's a magic hat. Right? That's what she's... That's the only explanation why she's wearing it. She just says, hey, it's a magic hat. And it's like, oh, all right, that... Hans, can you pull up a photo of Slash from Guns N' Roses real (laughs) quick? I feel like there's something being mirrored here. Wolfman, do you have what is it? What is your history with The Shining? Do you have any sort of fondness for that book slash movie? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love the movie. I never read the book. Um, my a lot of my history with uh, Stephen King is 
So I've, I've read a few of his books, but a lot of my fondest memories of, of Stephen King stories was when my older brother would read his books. And then every weekend we would walk to Blockbuster Video to rent a movie. And on the walk, he would tell me what had happened in the book up to that point. So he basically recounted all of The Shining to me. He recounted all of it to me in that way. Uh, and so that's how I, I eventually went on to read it. I still haven't read The Shining, but yeah, I, I love the movie. It's, it's like, you know, it's a masterpiece. I think The um, Shining might be Stephen King's scariest piece of writing. There you go. There's Rose the Hat. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. So this is our bad guy, our, our big bad of Dr. Sleep. Our shiny eyed yeah. villain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it, like it, this this pr pretty lady with a goofy dress sense, very terrifying. She this, went on to play Paul Paul's mother in Dune in the new Denny Villeneuve Dune. I think she's got this incestuous relationship going on with him that they decided to add in there. Um, yeah, no, the, the Shining is a book, and I discussed this recently on Perfume Nationalist with Jack Mason, who we will have on for the next episode for our Halloween special and talk about The Exorcist. Uh, we got into The Shining, the book, and my revisiting it was a pleasant surprise because I had picked it up, I feel like, around age 20 or 21. Maybe I was early into college, and it was spooky. It was very eerie. I think the scene where you have little Danny Torrance walking into, I believe it's room 217 in the book and 237 in the movie, is probably his most eerie well-defined piece of horror writing and of course we got to revisit that hit here in dr sleep oh hell yeah you know um but i i really enjoyed the doctor uh, the excuse me the shining novel kubrick's film i think is masterpiece of course and then there's the 1997 or maybe 98 i think it was 97 made for television adaptation written by stephen king directed by Mick Garris, titled Stephen King's The Shining, where they got Stephen Weber from Wings to play Jack Torrance. And Elliot Gould makes an appearance for some reason and is hardly acting at all. He's just acting like he's reading off a cue card that's just right out of the camera's view. And I have to say, Dr. Sleep plays as much like a sequel to that miniseries than anything else. This, this film when we watched it originally when it came out in i believe it was what 2019 or 2018 hans uh let me see it was around that time it was it was, it was 2019 because I, I listened yeah. i listened to that episode today in preparation for this our original episode where we are just disgusted with this movie <laughs> yeah well, and you um, sound you both sound like completely different people <laughs> really uh, <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know if you guys just got better at like podcast voice or if the, the, the years have had that much of an effect on you. Hans, your accent has gotten more pronounced. Wow. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Oh, like, oh. Which, yeah, you've been, you've been in the States. You've been making films in America, and yet yeah. you sound more foreign than ever. Yeah, I, uh, I guess. Well, I only speak English with my girlfriend, too, so that doesn't make sense. But I guess maybe, yeah, I don't. I, I, I'm playing the race card and playing more yeah. Latino here. He's trying to get those opportunities on his plate. Yeah, I think mine is probably just uh, cigarettes and, and the occasional whiskey playing sure. a part for me. Now, Dr. Sleep, this was a critically well-received movie when it first came out in 2019. People were over the moon with this film. 
and it really tapped into a lot of the uh, pleasure points of the culture for that time where you had the Stephen King revival because of it 2017. And also it started this resurgence of horror movies being so critically well-received, which is a given these days. It's very rare that you see any horror movie premiere in theaters that has less than like a solid 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. Saw X, if Saw X was released in 2005, it probably would have premiered with a 19%, a 17%. Now you go on Rotten Tomatoes, has like an 85%. But Doctor Sleep was kind of the end of the train for Stephen King. This movie was a flop in terms of financial uh, 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 box office, but it was critically beloved. And I just couldn't understand it for the life of me. I was revolted by what they did with this movie. And... Obviously, I think there's something to be said about having these CG renditions of people like, for example, with the, the Ghostbusters movie that Jason Reitman did. They brought back, um, God, the, the actor's name is... Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis, thank you. They bring back Harold Ramis through CG. Or you check out the Flash movie and they have Christopher Reeve, CG, mm -hmm. full CG. George Reeve also, full CG. Adam West, CG. And it's off-putting in its own right. But this movie did something unique, which we'll get into in a little bit, that I found detestable from just a, a point of taste in any sort of quality. So I never understood why people were so warm on this movie, aside from Mike Flanagan, the director, who, again, looks like an adult baby. If you can just pull up any photo of yeah. him, Hans. Yeah, one second. I, I never understood why people enjoyed this movie. Now, Wolfman, was this your first time watching Doctor Sleep for this show? Yes. I never I haven't seen the theatrical version, so I, I just went in, yeah, balls deep in the director's cut. Oh. Um so uh, Great man. <laughs> yeah. I mean I, I was I was happy to do it for the show. Um I took a lot of notes. Uh one thing though that I think is important to bring up because, you know, you mentioned low res that, you know, this, this is all gearing up for Halloween, mm -hmm. you know, it's Halloween, it's spooky season. And, you know, here we have a sequel to the shining, one of the scariest movies of all time. You know, what's, you know, you know, what's scary to me, uh, a beautiful sunny day, <laughs> Be being outside on a beautiful sunny day uh, with lots of, with lots of color and no threat whatsoever and uh, uh a terrible th that's looking horrifying just a terrible looking netflix filter on top of everything that just yes. makes it look makes it look like those ads that you get on instagram where it's like oh, if you want to make your films look better buy this well, pack of yeah filters. yeah and it looks no. exactly like that so so i love the impractical jokers it's a not so guilty pleasure of mine and whenever I'm like staying with a relative, I'm on a trip and the TV's on, we'll just put it on true TV and watch an Impractical Joker marathon, have it on in the background while we talk, whatever. And then there will be a commercial break. And the commercial break is usually just a bunch of products for sexual deviance. Uh, this film uh, visually is indistinguishable from those commercials. You could cut it in at any point and you wouldn't realize that a movie had come on. Why does everything look like this now? That's a good question. I think I might have figured out one of the main reasons for that. 
and it's become a little more mainstream with video editors adopting DaVinci Resolve. That seems to be like the most popular editing platform uh, suite these days is DaVinci Resolve. And that's because it has all of these built-in tools that you would otherwise have to use third-party software for and is typically only reserved for professional editors who really know what they're doing. DaVinci Resolve dumbs a lot of that down so people have an easier time navigating these things. And one of the big things that DaVinci Resolve offers is a tool called Relight. And Relight offers an artificial lighting and you can add these artificial lighting sources. And this is what I'm seeing now all over the place. I'm like, wait a minute, this Netflix artificial look is that. It's the artificial lighting of these shots. And I think it's all over Dr. Sleep. It's all over many of Mike Flanagan's horror shows. It's this flat, colorful, well-lit, uh, not really shadowy. There's, there's hardly any ambience to it. Uh, look, this veneer that has been popularized because people love a crystal clear image whenever they're watching a movie. So I think that's I one don't. of the main things. No, I, I, I despise <laughs> it too, as a matter who, of fact. Who, see, I, I, went, I went through this like back in like 2013 when all my friends got new TVs and they all had that uh, like motion smoothing mm, shit on them. Mm -hmm. uh, and none of them could tell. I was like, why does your TV look fucked up? And they're like, what are you talking about? And it's like, I've seen this movie a million times. You know, it would be on. And I'm like, it looks wrong. Like it looks, it, it like it looks like we're there on set. Like it doesn't look like a movie. Uh, and then it, it took them forever to catch on to that. But yeah, like I, I I guess just I guess just most normal people can't tell. There's a lot of things that stick out to people as that sort of hyper-realistic or ultra-artificial look that I think is misplaced at times. Like, I, for example, when it comes to motion smoothing, I had seen a tweet where people were posting, I think it was some soccer game, and it just looked funny because the frame rate was high or however it was shot was, was weird. And they were like, see, this is what happens when you shoot an 8K. This 8K image just looks so hyper realistic to the point where it's you can't enjoy it but it's not that that's an incorrect um you're, you're ascribing the wrong thing here to that um it has a lot to do with the lighting the camera choice does matter the dimensions never matter because you can you zoom in zoom out it's fine it'll maybe be a little more crystal clear the higher the resolution but for the longest time i feel like we've been in a place of what is what is wrong here? Why does this look this way? What is this problem? We can't really sum it up. We can't describe it. We can't explain it. But I do think a lot of it is that it's not just CG. It's also this this false lighting and um, how they choose to approach the standard now for release. And it's probably just out of laziness too, right? Because then you don't really have to think that much about what it's going to look like when you shoot it if you just have that option of relighting it on the edit. So then you can just do whatever and not even focus that much on uh, when you were shooting it, which <laughs> it's it's enraging how this is supposed to be a sequel for a movie that was directed by someone that was so autistic when it comes to his shots and how specific he was with everything. Every single shot had 
a reason to look the way that it did and then you give the sequel to someone that just makes the movie look like anything that comes out in that platform so i think that's probably the most egregious most upsetting part of this whole thing where it's like don't don't say that it's a sequel to anything and 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 there's a couple of scenes where he tries to remake them too the the scene of them uh driving to the hotel but it's at night so you know it's scarier because he's at night instead of the you know the the ominous beginning of the shining where he's driving to the hotel and he has like creepy music oh it's the same but you know what it's scarier because it's night and you can barely see anything but we're gonna play the same music to make it creepy and it just doesn't work at all uh, the effect is completely lost even if it's trying to mimic what those shots look like it's just completely ineffective and by the time we get to that too we're like two hours in if, on the theatrical i don't even know on the directors you're probably like two and a half hours in and um i'm just kind of just done with it by that point uh when you're even trying to to mimic what kubrick did and it's just no style just zero visual style uh, the the camera movements uh that he does in this movie are the only thing he does i guess is oh the character is laying down and then he got up and the camera got up with him that's as creative as his shots get and the, the first time i saw it i saw it in one two three movies i think it was and it was very bad quality so i thought just like with elvis i thought that might have affected how like my opinion on what this movie was but now after seeing it clearer it's it's worse and i hated it more than i did the well now you have to take it seriously as a real movie not yeah. just a leaked movie that you got a hold of yeah and uh just upsetting from from the first moment to the end it's just just a, whole, uh, a miserable experience you know because the reception of this movie was so positive i really felt for the longest time like there, I'm bringing something to this that is souring my experience here. There's obvious complaints that I think are valid, which we'll get to regarding the third act of the movie. But maybe I'm just not getting something here. Maybe maybe I'm a curmudgeon. Maybe it's really maybe they're they're right in that I'm just looking to hate the movie. But no, no, I really was not. I bought this movie. I returned to this movie several times. I was like, there's got to be something. I look, if I talked myself into liking the Green Lantern movie on my third watch of it, surely the Doctor Sleep movie is going to be an easier time. But no, 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 no. I've watched the theatrical. I've watched the director's cut. The director's cut only seems to improve the the gore or like the child death aspect, I guess. But is that really worth the extra 40 minutes of fucking runtime? No, I, I, it's not. It's really not. So what's at it? What are those extra 40 minutes? What do you, what, they kill more kids? Is that it? No, no, I think it's just, the, there's a lot more story that's added. And there's also the indulgence into that because they're not bound by like, okay, well, I mean, honestly, they can do whatever they want these days, but I think they were more apprehensive to protect the R rating. If you want to look up like a list right now so we can compare and contrast, because I'll tell you what, I did not watch the director's cut for this viewing. I watched mm -hmm. it a while back, so I couldn't tell you fresh off the top of my head what is different. I did watch the theatrical because that's what was on HBO Max. Uh, and uh, I assumed, Wolfman, you were probably going to settle on the theatrical. I didn't know you were going to go all the way uh, no. at, per my recommendation originally. 
Well, I, I wanted to go all the way because I remember Hans mentioned it too the last time we were we were doing uh, last time we were recording, um, and it was only a half hour difference. And at that point, the difference between two and a half and three hours is not that great. Like the mm-hmm. evening shot either way, uh, but I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't know the differences between the theatrical and the director's cut. But I can tell you this for the director's cut: the first forty five minutes can all go. Uh, the movie, the movie opens with a scene. It's in, it's 1980 where they, they get this little girl in an RV park and they drive away. Uh, you cut from that to, uh, Danny getting his chip and being like, I'm Dan Torrance. I'm an alcoholic. That's where the movie needs to start. Everything that comes before that is shit. It's worthless. Uh, you, yeah, you don't need it. All the all the stuff that goes back to, honest, the movie's greatest flaw is that it's a that it's connected to The Shining. Uh, if they just removed that, like you could have gotten an interesting story because already it's basically they're trying to make two movies and smash them into one. Mm-hmm. There is one movie about Dan Torrance, who's an adult, and yeah, he speaks to the dead and he's Dr. Sleep. He works as an orderly and he helps people cross over. He helps them die. That's one story. Then you have another story about Munster and Sons, these vampires who travel in the world's largest conspicuous caravan uh, and they go around like eating people's souls. Uh, That's a different movie. And I also thought it was interesting that for that, you know, because Stephen King, yeah, he's a whack job, especially since he got run over by that van. Uh, to have a sequel to one of his bigger properties and have it be about these, like, kind of psychic vampires, that would fit in so much better to, like, a Carrie sequel or a Firestarter sequel. Why? Why The Shining? So you just touched on something that has been a problem the entire way through with Dr. Sleep, because I've said on the show before, I love the idea of having an adult Dan Torrance working as a hospice um, nurse and dealing with his, you know, the addiction that his father passed down to him and seeing ghosts. I I'm very all in on that. And just like with the movie, when I started reading the book back in 2013 or 2014, whenever it was, as soon as they introduced the true knot, it loses me. I don't care about this fantasy aspect at all. And it is really a significant anchor on everything that could be good about Dr. Sleep. Just like the the movie here, the opening, I want to say uh, maybe about a, like the, the opening sixth of the novel plays like a direct sequel to The Shining. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the strongest element of that book. Everything else is trash and it sticks like the movie itself sticks pretty close to the page with the exception of the ending and Mm -hmm. the uncle dan the uncle dan aspect in the book he's actually her uncle in this movie i don't understand why she's calling him her uncle at all you know it doesn't really fit it feels very forced in there the juxtaposition is not natural at all and it just comes across peculiar so um the ending here where they return to the overlook that is not in the book 
what's mm-hmm. in the book is totally separate. They took Stephen King's ending to The Shining and tried to merge it into the the Kubrick universe of, of The Shining, essentially, and make up for that. Right. It it just feels completely unnecessary, right? Uh, expanding on, you know, this is a power that many people have. And uh, there's this secret society of people that suck the shine from children. <laughs> suck the shine yeah. off a trailer hitch. Because they need it. Because uh, it gives them shiny eyes. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't work at any point. And it's just, it, like you said, it feels tacked. Like, it, it just feels like extra. Like, you, you kind of want to see what his story is and what he goes through. But the movie keeps cutting to this band of gypsies being very corny with each other. The whole snake bite, what's her name? Snake bite, Amy is her name, I think. Annie, I think. Annie, where she's in in the uh, movie theater and drugs the guy and the guy falls asleep or whatever. And then she cuts his cheek and leaves snake bites on his cheek because she'd not be doing this which by the way no she's dressed like a 1940s character and he's also dressed like a like some mid-20th century businessman and then she's like and if you keep browsing aol chat rooms (laughs) like it just takes you out of it like all right if you're gonna do the merging of style in a way like batman 89 Go all in. Don't have it just be for this one scene where they're dressing like people from a hundred years ago. Do it throughout the movie, and they don't do it throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, what, so that scene bothered me a lot, uh, and I'm gonna—I—I I, I don't know—I might—I uh, might raise some red flags, make some enemies here. But you mentioned this on on the first episode you guys did with this. <clears throat> this whole concept that this girl is this fifteen-year-old. Uh, really goes out the window when the actress is clearly like in her mid twenties. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't know as an audience member, you don't know if she's actually a young girl or if she's like an older prostitute who has like a baby doll act. Uh, so you really don't know how you're supposed to feel about this situation. But I, I know just as a person watching this movie, uh, if a character's uh whole motivation is that they're going online and soliciting men to come meet them and fuck them. And then they're angry that the men show up to do it. Uh, I'm not sympathetic to you. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I have no interest in you at all as a character. If anything, I, she's the greatest villain in the film. <laughs> she's the we most also, loathsome character. We also don't see the man doing anything. He's just asleep, right? So yeah. then it's like, how is that effective in any way where you don't even show, make me hate him. But instead it's yes. just kind of like, okay, so he's to, he's asleep. And this girl that he's on a date with just cut his cheek because she wants to leave her snake bite mark and then say something corny. I wish I had written down what her line was uh, because it was just, just like everything that comes out of any character in this movie is just like, why? You know, every line is just like, no, yeah, who, yeah. who speaks like this? Stephen yeah. King does. All his all his characters speak like that. You know, the, the one now, of the is, other is that, a, is that a Stephen King thing or is that like a New England thing? No, that's not a New England thing. Okay. okay. I'll, I'm just curious. I'm, I'm not trying to throw shade <laughs> or anything like that. But yeah, I, just, I, I didn't know. I will say that people in Maine definitely speak in a different way than people in, we'll say, Boston. But 
No, Stephen King notoriously has really corny dialogue, and that shines through the most, no pun intended, with oh. the Shining 97 miniseries where you have Jack Torrance and all his corny catchphrases and lines that Stephen King himself wrote for mm. Stephen Weber to perform. And it just it's the worst thing in the world. It's so horrible on the ears. Now, what this problem here is with the movie theater sequence also is that there are all these little pockets of world building that it fits with a novel. It doesn't fit with a movie. When you mm -hmm. find yourself in these moments for a movie, it winds up slowing down everything. And you're focusing on these characters for a short period of time that are ultimately going to be not very consequential to the plot and where things are going. And whatever that, that story winds up being for that character comes not only second, actually it comes third, really, because you have Dan, you have Abra. And then I guess maybe you have like the, the legacy of the Overlook and Jack Torrance, and that could even be third above whatever happens with this character. Now, as far as pedophile hunters online, I just got recommended some videos on YouTube, and it was like pedophile thinks he's meeting a nine-year-old, but actually it's Michael Myers. And then there's a guy in a Michael Myers mask in a hotel room. And she's like, Jesus, that sounds fucking frightening. If that wasn't already a frightening premise of some dude meeting a nine-year-old, it's Michael Myers who shows up instead of the nine-year-old. So, wow, they're really up oh, in the game. What, what would be even more frightening? What if it was Michael Myers who showed up instead of the pedophile? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that's a, that's a great point that I didn't even think about. The Why are we spending any time getting to know snake bike annie when she doesn't really become an an important character at all uh, what is the only other thing she does um she lures the boy into the van right that's like her only other thing because the next time we see her and she tries to sass the black girl she gets shot and mm -hmm. she's that's done that. yeah so so why are we spending 20 minutes with her at the beginning to get to know what her thing is when she could just be part of the misfits band you know her, her purpose is to just be a vessel for the audience so uh rose the hat explains what the group is all about it's mm -hmm. she's ba she's basically just a vehicle for exposition but this is what i'm saying where it's two different movies because if you had a movie just about monster and sons she would be the lead like you have this angry young girl who's like becoming a woman. Uh, she feels like violated and intimidated by men. And she meets this mysterious Rose woman who's like, oh, you want to be dangerous. You want to be powerful. You want to feel safe. I can give you that. Come join our band, you know? And then she kind of like goes off with them and like does some awful shit. And then she has an arc where she like, you know, uh, rejects that and she doesn't want to be evil. She doesn't want to prey on people. And then she overcomes Rose and defeats her in the end. That's a story. That's a whole separate movie uh, that could be good on its own in the right hands. But it's, how, it's how, how is she not safe at any point? The only scene well, that we see of her, she's in power. But that's <laughs> the thing. It's like that, like that's that's the other thing that doesn't make sense because uh, Rose, like this, basically her uh, Snakebite Annie. Her whole thing is that she's like pissed that men want to fuck her. Uh, and Rose is like, Ooh, don't you want that feeling forever? Don't you want to be 15 forever? And she's like, yeah, well, no, I wouldn't, you want to grow up and be a grown woman. Wouldn't you want to hit the wall? So men would stop ogling you. 
Yeah, she, typical woman. She doesn't know what she wants. Uh, <laughs> but like in the context of this movie, if these guys are supposed to be these villains, these monsters that we're supposed to hate and fear, I've got an idea. How about don't have all their scenes take place in the fucking daytime? How about uh, like how about have them be like menacing and loathsome in the in any of the scenes where they're not killing a kid? Because if you remove the scenes where they kill a kid, you wouldn't know they were villains. I'm. What do you mean? Their eyes shine. Haven't you seen how their eyes get shiny when they <laughs> suck the shine out? That's how you know they're villainous. I, I, it, I, yeah, I guess it's, I, uh... it's it sucks. And 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 that's the thing. Is this rated R? It's it not, is right. It, it is. is because it all it feels so safe. The villains never feel like they're actually a threat throughout the movie um even when when they're in the woods and they have like their confrontation in the woods or whatever they shoot at each other uh the first time uh dan and and his friend whose name i can't, I can't remember uh they have this confrontation they kill like 90 percent of them on the on the first encounter so it's like at no point this band of of hat wearing rascals feel like they're an actual threat everything is just very goofy and what they're they're hunting little 10 year old boys which is i guess a difficult thing to do even though all they have to do to get that boy is to show them snakebite annie and then he's like okay and that's it so at no point they're shown us as them being dangerous or doing things that you would re relate to a villain it's just them telling you we're bad, right? Yeah. And oh, we're, we're the bad guys, and we're we're dressed like this because we're bad, and we do bad things. But then they don't show us anything bad. So yeah. then I guess the only reason why you know they're bad is because they're not friendly with our main characters, and that's it. So yeah, where's the, where's the threat? Like the 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 whole horror element of this movie hinges on the one scene where they kill the baseball kid uh if you remove that scene this is not even this is not a horror movie there's not a single attempt to scare you uh even when they invoke the shining it's in the most sterile like bland uh completely like toothless way possible uh compare compare this crew of villains compare them to the vampires and the lost boys or to like the 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 crew in near dark who also ride around in a winnebago like you can tell those motherfuckers are bad like the film is directed in a way to bring that across they fill you with with a, a danger sense with a sense of dread and and they all have a very unique look and personality all these guys are just like they're just like regular jagoffs and they're talking about steam like it's like they're looking for gas. It's like, oh, we're going to run out of gas. How are we going to get to the next town if we don't find gas, Rose? And she's like, I'm telling you, there's gas around here. If we just keep heading east, we're going to hit a gas station. Uh, and it's, and yeah, you, it's you, fucking you, stupid. You know she's villainous because she just has a smirk on her face the whole time. She's just... But, saying she says something mm. and then just smirks. And, but she you know, doesn't. She doesn't seem villainous. She's like charming and kind of hot. Like it, it doesn't work. Yeah, Dude. have them fucking use a baseball bat on some male uh, um, 
mailboxes, you know, going to a neighborhood and and uh, ding dong ditch yeah. some some some. That's where he stand by me. That's Kiefer yeah. Sutherland's yeah. gang stand by. Me. You know, hey, I was just that's thinking an, about that's it. another Stephen King tie-in. Maybe one of them is Ace Merrill. You oh, know, that would have been he's the leader great. of the, the band. Yeah. I I was just thinking about it when Danny is a kid and he's being haunted by the lady in the bathtub. Mm-hmm. Even that, they just kind of rely on the design of the character in the bathtub, looking at him being rotted and creepy. That wasn't the point of that scene ever, because you never see the old woman with Danny in the original Kubrick film, or even, I think, in the miniseries. And in the book, it's just kind of implied similarly. So we're given a glimpse of her totally naked, rotting, and they just kind of hold the camera on her the whole time. They don't try to make it spooky or this eerie moment. They never go for the same vibe. It's just you have to accept that this is a disgusting creature hanging out in the bathtub, and that alone is what's going to be scary. But it's not scary at all. Yeah. Like it, it looks like a pretty good design, but I'm sorry. If you hold on that design for nine seconds, I'm fucking analyzing it, and it's not that that scary. Well, and yeah, did, well, it, did it bug well, you guys? Did it bug you guys at all that it was clearly a young woman in a monster suit yeah. and not an old woman? Like, part of what made it creepy in the original is that it's a fucking old hag with her yeah. old hag yes. tits out and her flesh is rotting off. They would never, they would never do that now. Pick up some ugly woman to play ugly woman. They it's would ageist. pick up it. Uh, even with the the miniseries, they got like a pretty older woman, you know, and she's not like ugly, ugly, they uglied her up. But if you if you also stay on that shot, and you see it for longer than 10 seconds, you're just kind of like, okay, lady, like cover yourself up. Like, it's yeah, not scary. Kid. It's just kind of Put like, a towel oh, my, on. like, yeah, like that's the reaction. It's not like, oh my God, that's so creepy. It's just kind of like, come oh, fucking, ugh. Yes, we've you know? all seen our grandma like that <laughs> once or twice before. Uh, it, it's it's pretty. That, yeah. That's what I. Anytime you talk about having to clean up after your dad, that's what I'm picturing, Hans. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so you, you have moments like that, and let's just quickly talk about how they decided to handle the continuation of the Shining characters. You have Alex Esso from the movie Starry Eyes portraying Wendy Torrance. Oh, you have. Oh. Some random black man they picked up off the street playing the Scatman Crothers role of Dick Allen. Uh, offensive. That was so offensive. I was so upset. Because <laughs> it's like you can tell he's just trying to do a Scatman Crothers impression. And he's just very whoopity whoopity up. And it's just like, don't, don't fucking do that. <laughs> like, don't do that. Oh, the fellas picked up off the street. <laughs> whoopity whoopity. Uh, I don't know. I don't it's know, guys. A, Mind it, you, this car- <laughs> this guy, this actor was supposed to front a third movie. They were going to turn him into Dick Halloran vampire hunter. He was going to be the Get Van the Helsing of the series. <laughs> Get the fuck if, out of if here. If this movie had performed well, they were doing the Dick Halloran movie, and it was going to be called Halloran. But also, God. okay, so so they have, what, two scenes in The Shining together where he talks to the boy, maybe? They, they don't even have, like, that close of a relationship, if I remember correctly. It's been a while. But I think he's not even in the movie that much, right? Or am I wrong? Dick Halloran is in The Shining quite a bit. He's with Danny in the opening where right. they have the understanding that he has the shine and Dick has the shine. Makes you wonder, why is Dick working at the Overlook? If he's if he can see all these spirits on a daily basis, 
why the fuck is he working there? What does he have to gain from that? But he meets the little boy and he talks to him telepathically and he's got enough of a connection with him. He's a good enough man where it, he's the lifeline. And so Danny communicates with him from the hotel while he's vacationing down in Miami with the portraits of the nude black women on either side of him in the hotel. And he goes and he goes and tries to save him and then dies immediately. Jack fucking puts an ax right in his chest. Not in the book, not in the miniseries. It's a, I think it's like a croquet mallet or something. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a what is it, Roke? Uh, I think it is the game. I, I might be saying that wrong. No, I think, it, I think it's croquet. Mm. And um, he lives and then goes on to fuck Wendy Torrance, you know? So that's what's implied with the miniseries. Stephen King didn't add that in the book. So, yeah, it just it just kind of felt forced. It, it kind of felt like, um, well, we have to bring another element from The Shining so that you guys remember. Hey, remember The Shining? This is a character in The mm. Shining. So now, even though he's an adult, he still talks to this spirit that died 20 years well, ago. Well, I, I don't know if I have a complaint with that, because if you remember in The Shining, he has an invisible friend named Tony. So right. it's established that Danny talks to somebody. And in the movie that Kubrick did, Tony is just this weird, who the fuck knows what that right. is. It's like the Ouija board in the attic with Captain Howdy for The Exorcist. We don't know who Tony is. In the miniseries, and I believe, not in the book, in the book it's also kind of a mystery, I think. Uh, but in the miniseries, Tony is grown-up Danny Torrance and please Hans look up grown-up Danny Torrance here look up Tony from The Shining 1997 he's just a nerd and he's a nerd who appears every so often to talk to Danny so in that timeline Danny can talk to his future self which is not a ghost that fucks with like the time space continuum it's very Ezra Miller's flash really but to the, the point here, I think it's fine that you have Scatman Crothers returning to him. I'm not even Scatman. Dick Halloran returning to him as a ghost. In the book, Dr. Sleep, he's just alive. So he visits him. Oh, yes, you have him? the floating nerd who comes to see Danny Torrance. So, Oh, wow, that looks great. Look at that makeup. But that boy is in that? Yeah. Yeah, that the, boy kid, is the kid from the Pizza Hut commercial. He <laughs> Little <laughs> rascals boy, yes. That's great. Um, and goddamn, he's the worst actor I think I've oh, yeah. ever watched in a movie. He is so painful, this kid. So. Oh, this really should be uh, <laughs> channel awesome version of it. Yeah, I watched uh, it so you don't have to. But so, like, I, I think the I think the way to look at this movie is that it's not directed by Mike Flanagan. It's not directed at all. It's staged. It is staged by Mike Flanagan. He blocked people, he put up a camera, and he filmed it. There's no directing going on here. Because a director, in the, in the instances with like the Dick Halloran character, or even when uh, <clears throat> Jack Torrance comes back at the end, if you want to include those characters, do it like they did Elvis in True Romance, where there's just where there's a shape in the periphery and you hear a voice and you know who it is, but you don't just see it. You don't just see it square. And it also gives you the feeling of like being haunted 
you know, like in a fucking ghost movie that's supposed to be scary. <laughs> but no, they just fucking flatly show them and get actors to do SNL impressions of them. Oh, it's so bad. That the whole uh one of the most upsetting things about this movie too is that uh Shelley Duvall she went crazy and her life was ruined after her experience in this movie, right? And well, she did, hold on that's a second. That, that's, that's, that's the prevailing narrative, but clearly she was a fucking nut before then. I'm sorry. Nobody goes crazy from working on a bad, having a bad experience on a movie. Okay. I don't okay, care. I, I don't care who you're working with. You could be working with Michael Bay trying to finger you under a fucking restaurant <laughs> table. Uh, it's, it's not going to drive you to schizophrenia unless you were already kind of nuts to begin with. Okay, so after this and after playing olive oil in Popeye, she it was, went yes, crazy. it was Robert Altman. <laughs> Why is he not responsible? It was the same fucking year. But her performance, I think, no matter what happened to this lady afterwards, you can tell that her performance is amazing as playing this this uh, tormented uh, wife uh, who looks terrified every time she's she's on screen and who who uh, shows a very very terrified portrayal of her husband. And then you cast someone that kind of looks like her and try to make us believe that that's the same character, even though there is no pain coming through that face. There's no nothing other than, hey, her haircut is similar and she's got a skinny face, skinny mm -hmm. enough. I think so she does a pretty good alike. job of mirroring the voice that Shelley Duvall does, but you're absolutely right in that. Shelley Duvall's face was a Polish poster for The Shining because it's so fucking goofy and weird. Mm -hmm. And you don't have actors like that anymore. Like Shelley Duvall's long face and her big teeth, her big yeah. blocky teeth eyes. and just hollow eyes, you know, of just a disturbed person who clearly had a probably rough childhood. That's what really drove her to schizophrenia. You don't have that that often in Hollywood. They scare those people away because they don't want to deal with them because they're uninsurable. So... I think Alex Esso, who plays Wendy Torrance, I think she does fine for what's called of her, but it it's the first red flag with this movie that they're doing something you should not be doing, which is aping the actors who played the characters. It should just mm -hmm. be your rendition. I don't think mm -hmm. they do that nearly as much with Scatman Crothers and Dick Halloran. He's the least offensive. Yes, I, I, I think so. Um, and it, I'll be honest with you, when these two characters popped up in Dr. Sleep, when I watched it the very first time back in 2019, it never occurred to me that they would try the same thing with Jack Torrance. It never popped into my head that they were going to try that. Are you killing roaches on camera? No, it's a mosquito. <laughs> okay. It's like, got me like three times. Damn. All right. Well, so I, I was never expecting that. And I should have known better because if you... What Warner Brothers does and what a lot of these companies do is they'll try to warm you up for what they're going to do by sneaking in something in a subtle way. For example, here, when Suicide Squad was going to be released in 2016, they started putting out Suicide Squad animated movies around 2012, 2013 mm -hmm. that were not even titled that because nobody knew what that was. Nobody knew that as a pro it was kind of an obscure property at the time. And it, there was one release called Batman Assault on Arkham, which kind of mirrors what the plot of that movie is. They will sneak things out like that to warm up the potential audience for whatever is to come. Now, I caught in Ready Player One, released in, I believe, 2017, that they did a digital version of Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance and the twins in the Overlook Hotel. And what that told me was, uh-oh, 
they're going to start messing with this in a real way. This is this is their heads up that they're going to do this. And shortly thereafter, they announced Doctor Sleep was going to be the next adaptation in the the King saga of movies since they released it in 2017 as well. And that was a big box office hit. Now, what we wind up getting in this movie is not just like, you know, you know, a, a sloppy Stephen Weber doing his own thing as Jack Torrance. It's Thomas. Who, who is this kid from E.T.? What is the actor's name? Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas as Jack Torrance, but not just as Jack Torrance, as Jack Nicholson, as Jack Torrance. And he can't do the voice. He cannot do the voice. What he did is the receding hairline. He can't do the voice. Hans, you have a much more accurate Nicholson impression than one Henry Thomas. Could we just hear that real quick? Yeah, let's. I got to hear that. Hey. Perfect, That's Hans. Perfect. Chilling. Hans. You know, it, was, it was very low. You kind of, I don't know, the volume there might not have been mm. ideal. Can we get another? Can we get take two? Hey. That well, was, that was your worse. microphone <laughs> fucked that up. You gotta do, I think you got to do a sentence. Give us here's Johnny. Oh. Can we just get a here's Johnny? Here's Johnny. I've, I thought he was on the line with me. I couldn't believe it. I think I think this might be Nicholson we're, we're, we're talking to right now. Wolf yeah, it's remarkable. He said you get this. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I, I, I feel like they wrote in a line uh, as kind of as almost like a safety net because uh yeah because his his jack nicholson impression or whatever isn't great so they just make him look like him and danny keeps addressing him like he's jack torrance but he's like you have me confused i'm lloyd the bartender and so that just kind of plants it in the audience member's head that like oh he's not supposed to sound like jack he's supposed to be like an amalgam of both of them as like a cop-out you know, I forgot that he pops up again in the bathroom, and oh no, he looks like Homer Simpson here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I, I that must have been from another deleted scene or something because I don't remember seeing that. That I believe is from a montage where. Okay. Ewan McGregor's Dan Torrance is getting a wave of things that happened in the Overlook, and they throw in little snippets like that. I forgot that he pops up again in the bathroom. I just remembered he's at the bar, and they do just a side profile shot because it's mm -hmm. much more believable than anything that's going to be head on but as soon as he opens his mouth i think if they had just left it at side profile i would have been i would have excused it mm -hmm. i would have said okay they handled it in an interesting enough way but they really went all in on <laughs> looks Henry like jack Thomas. black <laughs> god damn that's bad it's, it doesn't even look like he's wearing the same clothes either. he's not he's not that his his shirt uh his jacket rather was a like maroonish, um, almost reddish color, and that is like straight up brown. So yeah, uh, just why do that? Just don't do it. Just try to figure out. Like and you that's have the thing. to, you have to, Hans. If you don't do that, how will the audience know it's a sequel to The Shining? The whole going to the hotel. I was just like, why? It doesn't make any. Oh, to get her in a trap because in the hotel there's spirits he's like what what why are we going to the just you because they had to correct her. kubrick's movie the hotel's supposed to blow up jack torrance is supposed to redeem himself it all it was see the shining is the most personal book that stephen king ever wrote 
Because if you read The Shining, there's stuff in there that is like, oh, yeah, this is just Stephen King's life when he was teaching English in his 20s uh, with, with Tabitha and whatever kid was born first. Like Joe. A drunk. Yeah, Joe Hill, who looks exactly... They should have had him play Jack Torrance with <laughs> yeah. his fucking dumb bowl cut. Yeah. Um, you know, and it always bothered him that Kubrick was like, okay, I don't care that this is personal. I'm making this my movie. And Jack Torrance is not this sentimental character. He's a lunatic, and he's a drunk, and he's going to spiral in the worst way and then freeze to death with a funny look on his face and then pop up in the photo in the Overlook. Okay, Mike Flanagan was only given permission by Stephen King, allegedly, if he ignored the Kubrick movie, and then there was some other condition, like, you don't return to the Overlook. And he ignored both of those and was like, well, listen, here's what I actually want to do. Let me fix the Kubrick movie and give your ending. And Stephen King was like, I love it. That's an even better idea than just avoiding it. Go ahead. You have my blessing. And he notoriously has horrible taste, of course. Yeah, we should yes. we should have uh, Mike Flanagan fix every Kubrick movie, right? We should just go back and and do a sequel to every single one of those movies and see mm -hmm. what he can do. He can it's fix the Lolita. Shining. We need right now. Right. Thank you, Mike Flanagan. <laughs> the socially conscious Shining. We yeah. have POC Abra and her father. Yeah. Who's just goddamn man? When they nerd. said her name was Abra, I shouted "fuck you" at my TV and scared my cat. <laughs> I could oh, not believe God. that. And I know that's her name in the book. I know Stephen King did that shit. Mm. Well, she's magic, you know. Yes, she's a magic black girl, of course. <laughs> you know, it really does not help the whole magical Negro trope that people complain about with Scatman Crothers by then casting Abra as this this young black girl and her, like, detergent commercial father who's oh, just yeah. who's fucking pathetic and dies like quickly in this movie off screen by the way yes. we don't even see just on the floor well, he's being killed so so that's something and this is another little I, I you know we don't need to go off in the weeds but i, I just i just want to float this to you guys uh have you guys noticed this as well because you guys watch more contemporary stuff than i do a lot of the black actors that they're casting and stuff they're only they're black in the most uh white way <laughs> yeah like yeah they're they're black in the most superficial way possible they have dark skin but they look they act white they dress white they have white people names and jobs they have no there's no black culture or any and, I, and i'm not saying they have to be like c thomas howell on soul man but like they're <laughs> they don't even look african like they look like a white person in blackface a lot of the time uh is is that just me no 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 i think well, they they rely on two actors now in particular and one was jonathan majors and the other is the guy that they are casting in like aquaman and it's uh, they play he doc uh, he played dr manhattan in the watchman series they mm -hmm. are heavily relying on these two black guys who look like they went to juilliard basically yeah. and uh now there's a third one thrown into the mix which is going to be the guy from Exorcist Believer, he's probably going to be Jonathan Major's replacement for one of the mm. two acceptable, not totally emasculated black men that they cast yeah. in in movies. So, yeah, no, you're definitely on to something there. You don't have a, a very good actor that they should cast more who fits probably the opposite of that is Bokeem Woodbine. Yeah. He's, he's awesome. We well, need more also, Bokeem Woodbine. Yeah. He was in Fargo season two along with yes. Zahn McLarnon, who's in this. But yeah, That's like right. there's no where where 
there's no Delroy Lindo. There's no like new CCH Pounder. Like there's the, like none of these just like great black character actors that you used to see. They're they're all gone. Everybody just wears a sweater and glasses and works on a MacBook. Well, I don't even think it's just a black thing because now no, they're trying not. to phase out any sort of masculine white actor as well. Mm-hmm. And it's like almost not, it, it, it's to the point where I've talked about reality television on this show quite a bit, but on reality shows, they stopped casting like the in shape fit guy. And now mm-hmm. it's just a bunch of soft bodied soy types. And it's not just like Survivor, which obviously we've, we've talked about that on the show before, but other shows as well have that problem. And it's like, if, it, if it's a competition show, they will cast like unimpressive slugs instead. And I think acting is just the same thing now, where if you are going to be the in shape guy, then you have to be trim, thin, Timothy Chalamet sort of in shape, which is not really muscular. You can't be imposing at all. Look like a post-op tranny. <laughs> yes. Well, it's that's Hollywood diversity in a nutshell, right? Uh, you have these quotas that they need to fill, but you're never going to go too far away from what you're comfortable and safe with. So instead, what they do is like, hey, there's brown people in it. They're a stereotype. Sure, they're as little and that into that culture as we can't get away with by just having them have a little bit of an accent uh hey namer is mexican how is he mexican he wears that green jewelry that's as deep as we go you know it, it's all just uh after forcing that then it's not like you're casting like you said people that would actually make interesting or give interesting performances because of their varied background no you cast someone that came out from uh nyu i don't even know if they have a, an acting school yeah yeah nyu uh someone that's rich and uh they have the right skin color so that that's it and as deep as we're gonna go is hey uh um, my grandma was a, a voodoo witch so i wear this necklace and that's as deep as as it goes um and and I think that's the problem with having to force that or or having to like what the Oscars did now that you need to have like I don't I don't remember what the rules were but something ridiculous when it comes to even qualifying to that they you have to have right now you, now you have to have a certain number of people of color either in the crew or the cast in order to qualify you know it, it just comes it, every one of these complaints it comes back and is like solved in a monkey's paw sort of fashion because I think a lot of the complaints and the gripes that happened with movies and entertainment around 2005 to 2010 is like all oh, these people are so pretty but they don't have any real personality you know why do they always cast pretty people now you have ugly people mm-hmm. but they're like completely void of anything interesting about themselves and repugnant to see so i don't know uh, it, it's it, no matter what they're gonna find a way to cast like the least appealing people possible for that because it's convenient to them in some fashion. I think a lot of the actors of the 70s and 80s, what made them interesting and what made them compelling is that their lives were full of problems and their personalities were probably problems and they were probably not that easy to um, navigate as a person to work with. And you lose a lot of that. And the way that the system is now is uh, not rewarding or accepting of much of that. If If it does accept that, then it's from a behind the scenes ceo sort of thing and not on camera talent because everyone is so replaceable and the same now in hollywood there's uh, a zero personality and ze- it's it's just like a create a character thing where 
well, we we need a we need an uh, uh, African American here, but so we're gonna just think of the whitest African American we can think of. But we're filling the quota, so that works. Uh, we need a Mexican, so hey, uh, a cocoa Mexican. So now it's just he's gonna be wearing a shirt with a, a skull in it and a sombrero. Cool, we got our brown. Uh, it there's no more care I think given to finding the perfect person for the role or the more interesting performance and now it's more of just filling that color that we need to fill or or ethnicity or even if their their ethnicity is uh you know uh um their parents or like their grandparents and they've been rich forever or they're connected in a, in a way where they never had to suffer anything or you you can tell in their fresh faces that they've never gone through anything difficult and then have them try to portray characters that are not that at all but they also don't bring anything interesting to that so that's why i feel so sanitized and so what's the difference between this character and the other character uh, you know they're not they're not bringing any any type of life experience or any type of uh anything that would make them different than literally any any other uh young actor i guess that you can put in that role do you do you guys have anything positive to say about the performances in this movie because i'll tell you what when i went back and i watched it today i had less of a tolerance for ewan mcgregor's yeah. performance here he's a little too i don't know like fake folksy or something i don't there's something off about his performance and it might just be the american accent yes this is grating on me but it doesn't didn't work for me uh, i i agree with you there um i think yeah they have they will not let him use his speaking voice and it has it has been a complete detriment to his ability as an actor um also, though, the directing, or maybe it's in the writing, I don't know, but they don't really give him a lot to do. And, like, in Ewan McGregor's earlier career, he was pretty famous for, like, he would have these big emotional scenes. I feel like in all of his earlier stuff, there would always be at least one scene where he's, like, weeping or, like, he's in pain. And there's, like, this, re this real, like, raw emotion. And here... He's playing a traumatized alcoholic who sees dead people. You'd think you'd get some of that. And he's so just flat and monotone and stoic. Uh, and it's like, it's like, there's no, it's like, it's like, there's no stakes to anything. I don't know. Like maybe, I mean, maybe he just didn't give a shit. Maybe to him it was, yeah, just a paycheck, but yeah, he's fucking boring. I think his performance here is, you could replace it with his performance in Birds of Prey or his performance probably in Fargo season three when he's playing the not gross twin. You know, mm -hmm. it's just unremarkable. He doesn't go for anything here to much of what you're saying. And you're right. I, I think he's got such like a neutral, generic American accent. It kills his performance, right? If, at the very least, it stunts his performance. Yeah. Well, and he's he's trapped he's kind of trapped in limbo because he's like 50, but he still looks like he's 30. So like, he's not getting like the older man roles because he's still so kind of like young and boyish, but he's too old to get the like 35 year old leading man roles. So 
I feel like maybe he can have some kind of comeback once he's like clearly old, old once he's like in his sixties, maybe, but yeah, right, right now, I just don't think there's a lot for them to do with him. It's also so safe too, right? Because we know that he's an alcoholic because he tells us. And the one thing he does uh, by being an alcoholic is uh, he sleeps with this woman that has a child and then he's about to steal her money and then he doesn't, right? If I'm remembering correctly. Uh, no, he, he still takes son, it. He does, behind, he takes it. He takes it, it yeah. Right, okay. So that's as deep as his alcoholism goes and now I have to change my life because he. we don't really see him be sloppy. We don't really see him be a piece of shit to anyone he's just like well now hey my name is dan and i'm an alcoholic uh so well hold on a second that woman dies and i think her baby yeah. dies too right and then they mm. they come back and haunt him in oh. one scene mm -hmm. but yeah like basically he leaves because he just assumes she's passed out but oh, apparently right. she's dead and then yeah the kid dies from neglect and he has one dream about it but even then like he doesn't like he doesn't seem tortured. He doesn't like beg for forgiveness or anything. He just like he just goes to Cliff Curtis's room and he's like, I need to go to a meeting. And Cliff but Curtis, Cliff Curtis, uh, he's born and raised in this New England town in Maine, but he has a southern accent for some fucking reason. Uh, I don't know if that bothered you guys at all. Um but and, and, is is that really his fault though? Is that really? I mean, she dies, right? It's a, a woman that he met for one night and then left. Sure. That's as again. That's and that's probably the most egregious thing about this movie. It's so safe. It's so CW. That's what it felt like. Like I was watching the CW Doctor Sleep because. It doesn't go far or, or deep enough into anything. You expect mm -hmm. me to care about a character that's supposed to be this tortured alcoholic that has to deal with this gift that he doesn't want to have. But he, his, his whole gift at the old people house is that, oh, I can talk to them with my mind. And they show this by having an old man acting a fool. And then he goes, you have to calm down. And the old man goes, no, I'm blah, 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 blah. And then he says, you have to calm down, but with his mind. And then the old man is like, oh, yeah, you're right. And it's like, what the, what? That, that, so he's, it, it just, it's just fucking awful. I was so upset watching two and a half or two hour 40. I think this, this, I hated every second of it. And when I was done, I was just miserable. And I kind of just wanted to record right then and then. This was, I think, Sunday when I saw this. But but it's just, it just feels like it's such a waste of time. And I, one of the things that bothers me the most too is that, so to understand what's going on, you have to know The Shining, right? So that whenever we go back to scenes like when Rose the Hat walks into the hotel, and then she sees an elevator and then she keeps walking and then she's another elevator and oh my god there's blood coming out of the elevator because hey guys remember the bloody elevator and then she smirks at it and walks away and he's like so you need to know what the shining is to know what's going on or what's what they're referencing here but if you enjoy the shining you can't enjoy this piece of shit oh that's where you're wrong because it again this was loved this movie was I, so loved I, I by people believe that it's so difficult for me to believe that you can 
like an art, but which to me is like an art film in The Shining where everything, you can tell that this director thought about every single thing that you see on screen. And then here, it just looks like, like again, like the CW Shining where there's no risks being taken. There's no uh, stakes. Uh, it looks cheap. Uh, the performances are boring. It looks like no one wants to be there. No one wants to be performing these corny-ass lines. So I, 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 as a fan of The Shining, I can't do anything but hate every second of this fucking movie. And I, it, when we recorded the first episode, I do remember that uh, our review was one of the few very negative reviews that were on YouTube. I remember a lot of, a lot of this face mm -hmm. enjoying it right <laughs> but like now that i i saw like a clearer version it's it's worse than i remember and i hated it even more and i i don't know how you can enjoy this if you're a fan of the original it it, it that just doesn't fit in my in my head well i think yeah. the big thing is that horror fans generally have poor taste not mm -hmm. in like any sort of oh it's so gruesome fashion but like literally just have poor taste they don't know how to dress themselves or anything so when they see something like this it's like oh cool it's part two it's like nightmare on elm street two it's like friday the 13th part two. like they're just thinking of it in that fashion they're not really associating like oh one of if not the greatest filmmaker of all time did this this very thought out uh, piece of horror back in 1980 and maybe that should just be left alone maybe you don't need a franchise around that just because you can do that and maybe stephen king wasn't even the best part about that maybe that as a concept you should consider mm -hmm. so i think i think it just boils down to that and um if you look through that scope then it's fine what's the problem you should do seven of these why don't you just return to the overlook why can't it be an hbo max series called overlook you know and they were for a period of time unrelated to the Halloran show. They were considering doing a made for like Netflix or something shining miniseries that had the plug pulled on it. And then Halloran, which would have been shining three also died when this did not perform to expectation. But didn't they also, didn't they have that castle rock show? Like isn't that the yes. same fucking thing where that was mm -hmm. like the expanded universe, Stephen King show. Well, what's interesting about that is that they did that for season one. And then season two was about how they bust a bunch of Somali immigrants into Castle Rock and they're just trying to make a living like everyone oh else. God, which was Fuck, the that's definitely Stephen King behind that. That fucking dork for it, I, the first season came out, I think, in like 2014 or 2015. And they were like, and here's Cujo and here's a character from Salem's Lot. And it's, you know, it's building that universe. And then they threw that out in 2016 or 2017 when Trump happened. And now yeah. it was Barkat Abdi just moved to Castle Rock and he has his own business, but bigots want to shut it down. God, dude, every show post 2016, even, even reasonably good shows all shit the bed. Like when that happened, it, like it was, it was, it was uncanny to me. Like how many shows just completely just completely jumped off a cliff over Trump. It was a cleansing period. And I think it was probably, I don't know, it was just flushing the toilet. Yeah. You know, it, even, it even if recover really, right? No, no, no. Yeah. We're still, we're still, it, it, we're still all in the swamp. 
we're still in Trump derangement syndrome. Uh, we're still feeling the effects. I think not to not to derail this, but to get kind of back to what we were talking about a minute ago. I think it would have been way ballsier and it would have given the movie an edge if the only way Danny can control the shine is when he's drinking. Ooh. And that's why he's an alcoholic. And when he doesn't drink, it's just out of control. And it's constantly happening and fucking with him. And he's constantly seeing ghosts. And the only way he can put them away is when he's drinking. So at the end, toward the end of the movie, when he's across the bar from his father, who's trying to get him to drink. And he's like, no, I'm not going to drink. He has, he has to fucking drink so he can save the girl. Like he has to take that bullet. Wolfman, you, you're bringing way too many good ideas to Stephen King <laughs> properties. These, these are way above his his level. Look, I love Stephen King. That's above his level of thing to think that complex and not that black and white about things that he would probably consider negative because it derailed his life, or that's what he ascribes a, a lot of that to. Even if he was like doing coke when he was fucking what a what a loser nerd doing coke while he's writing the tommy knockers at his fucking typewriter what a jerk <laughs> um you know so I, I i that sort of thing i love the idea of it being that sort of complex situation but warner brothers modern warner brothers i don't think unless it was somebody like christopher nolan ushering that in in one of his movies or somebody big along those lines they would never entertain that Ooh, sort of that, uh, idea you need to get someone like Flanagan who's just a fucking worm to do something like this because a real artist wouldn't do that. You have to fucking arrest Mike Flanagan in uh, uh, what is it, crimes against the arts for doing this piece of shit. Well, what, is, is Frank Darabont just retired? Because like 10 minutes into this movie, I was like, Frank Darabont should have directed this. Ooh, yeah, I think he's um, so he had a bad experience with The Walking Dead. And then I think he just got put on the bench after that. Yeah, I don't well, know if he, he's been he's, up to anything. He sued the shit out of him and won. So oh, I, I think because he took so much money from them, they're like, OK, he's out. I mean, he did. He does have the horrible blemish of having directed Dreamcatchers, but his his work. Up oh, to no, that no, no, no. He didn't do Dreamcatchers. That was Lawrence Kasdan. Oh he, God! He did the big chill. Yeah, he did okay. the, the mist. I thought it was terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I knew. I knew he did. I knew he did the mist. I thought he did Dreamcatcher, and that's what tanked him. Okay, wow. Kasdan did Dreamcatcher. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Oh, that's that makes do, more sense. But that's awful. Do you want to tell your Dreamcatcher story, Loris? Well, it's not really much of a story. I just I was <laughs> in the lobby of a movie theater. And I was looking at the poster to Dreamcatcher, and then one of the older women who. I think it was she looked like a lesbian, but I couldn't. I didn't know what a lesbian looked like when I was ten or eleven years old. She came up to me and was trying to make conversation about Dreamcatcher, and I was like, "Oh, okay." And then I walked away. It was very <laughs> uncomfortable. That's my Dreamcatcher story. So I don't. I don't think she was a lesbian. I think she was a Dreamcatcher. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think she was uh, trying to bait me. I think it was a lot like that Michael Myers meeting the nine-year-old situation that I was almost in there. Yeah. Uh, Dreamcatcher, by the way, was uh, nominated for a horror thriller in the Teen Choice Awards of uh, 2003. Just, awesome. just in case you're Deserves wondering, it I, too. Hey, yeah. I, it's more horrifying than this fucking movie. <laughs> like, it's it's more effective in the genre than this is. You know who they should have got to play Jack Torrance is Tom Sizemore. 
Oh yeah. And let I him show that. up drunk. Let him show up <laughs> his natural. Don't even do his makeup. Hans, what was that movie when we were watching films for Civic TV? We put on. It, I don't know if we watched the movie or we just pulled up the trailer. <laughs> Yeah, this and was like two days before he died. <laughs> it was ghastly. His face, it looked like he was on the embalming table, essentially. It was really shocking how horrible he looked in this movie. Please pull it up, Hans. Oh, fuck. What yeah, was he had it? Like, you remember? He had like purple lips and everything. Yes. Yeah, it was really the most unsightly appearance yeah. of an actor I've seen or, in a film. Or I tell you, if you want to go, if you want to kind of have it be like, let's get a guy who looks a lot like him but not quite get fucking Walton Goggins to be Jack Torrance. Yes. I think, I think you can throw him in. I, I feel like he was attached to when they were considering a Chinatown prequel, his oh. name was in the mix to play Nicholson's character in that. But I think they might've pulled the plug. Said it was one of those projects that got put on pause because of COVID. And then they just never picked it back up afterward. And also he, he started, um, a CBS like show called the unicorn where he's a single dad or something. Just like, yeah. All right. Uh, he's going to make some money. It's, it's fine. But. Well, I know. I, I mean, I, I hate the idea of a Chinatown prequel, but I know he did a canceled pilot uh, for LA confidential mm-hmm. where he was a uh, Jackman Sands. And I, I haven't been able to get a hold of it. I heard it was actually really good, but I think it was basically just a studio ploy to keep the property and they never actually had any intention of filming the show. Yes. Uh, I think the LA confidential pilot might be on YouTube. I feel like I watched it because Eric Roberts was in it. That's oh. how that was. That's how I got hooked in is it was All right. Eric Roberts property. Um, and it was going to be a CBS show. Yeah. Hans, you got it. I don't, I don't remember which one it was. Look at he's, so many movies, <laughs> shitty movies from Damn, does he have movies coming out in 2024 even though yeah he's look dead? at this look at this oh he did cobra kai this year too huh wow all right good for him keep him busy even in death college ball movie looks great yeah i don't remember this, which one it was it could be any of these <laughs> is this sizemore yeah tom sizemore I don't, I don't know every day I, I don't know if i told you guys this story but i met uh the actor Lyndon Ashby, who's like most famous for like being Johnny Cage in the first Mortal Kombat movie. Hell yeah. Oh, uh, but he he played Morgan Earp in the Wyatt Earp movie, which uh, Tom Sizemore was on. And he was telling me all these stories about Lawrence Kasdan reaming out Sizemore for showing up to the set fucked up <laughs> and like like basically like getting in his face and like throwing him against the wall and being like, listen to me, you cocksucker. You think there's not a blacklist in this town. There's a fucking blacklist in this town. I thought you were going to say that you sat on Tom Zeismore's lap once. Uh, why, why would you, why would you, uh, why would you get that idea? You know, you know I guess story. it wasn't enough for him to uh, not cast him in Dreamcatcher as like a lieutenant army, you know, so uh, it's it's really a shame. Tom Sizemore was full of potential and uh, it got used on Celebrity Rehab season three when they were like, hey, his ex Heidi Fleiss is on here. Wouldn't yeah. it be great for drama to cast both of them? And let me tell you, it was great for drama. But so, but that's what happens to the, that's what happens to like the interesting people is, yeah, mm-hmm. you don't, they don't get cast in Dr. Sleep. They get put on fucking reality TV. Oh no, Hans. Yeah, I thought you were pulling up his obituary. <laughs> that would have been a little more respectful here. <laughs> oh oh God. You're what right. do you mean violating? Huh? What is that word violation? 
He's great in Twin Peaks: The Return. Uh, who was he in that? He was remember- uh, Dougie's coworker who tried to sabotage him and put a hit out. Oh on him. yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I remember that now. And then he was so remorseful, he started mm-hmm. crying and begging for forgiveness from Dougie, and Dougie, of course, forgave him. So yeah, it was great. Uh, I gotta I, watch that again. I just got back to Twin Peaks season three to watch the eighth episode whenever they wind up going back to New Mexico mm-hmm. and um, doing the uh, the gotta light got homeless people at yeah, the gas yeah. station. I when I watched that episode, I was like, "What are they? Why is why is this happening? Mm-hmm. You know, why, what is this big waste of time here?" Um, and then as soon as we got to that part, I was like, "Oh, fuck! This is this might be the best episode of the series. I love this." And that was generally my feeling about Twin Peaks as I was watching. I was like, we're not getting Coop. I'm, I, oh, as soon yeah. as it hit like episode 11, I was like, nope. He's going to drag this out to the very end with fucking Dougie. So mm-hmm. just I'm going to have to buckle in and get used to this now. My expectations are dashed. Yeah. But I, now I prefer Dougie to Coop, probably. Well, I don't well, know. Well, I mean, I got to say, as frustrating as that uh, series was and as much of a troll as it was when Coop finally shows up, and like gives the thumbs up that hits so fucking hard oh yeah like yeah. i was cheering and i was all alone yeah that the, those last two episodes of the the series they were doing two episodes a night of twin peas when it originally aired on showtime those last two episodes of the show are just fantastic i, I actually in retrospect it might be my favorite thing the the entire season of that might be my favorite thing that david lynch has done and i i love a lot of david lynch so mm-hmm. Um, all right, Dr. Sleep, we have to talk about the grand finale, the Avengers Assemble team-up of all the monsters from the original uh-huh. movie coming together for an act of good to stop Rose the Hat, and they they all appear, and it's like their spooky world version of themselves, not the authentic good makeup jobs. You even have, like, the great party guy who was mentioned earlier in the film by Dan Torrance. He comes back. Uh, I think the twins probably come back. Yeah, they're there. Yep, it's everybody you saw in that first movie, but a much lesser version. And they all crowd in and go, ah, oh no, to Rose. I, yeah, I forgot that our Jack also has a scene where he's running with the axe. Oh, we're watching the ending now for those on Patreon.com/slash Lores. We're just putting oh, up on no. mute. Oh, look at that. We have Rose the Hat strangling Dan Torrance, and he's getting quick visions of recreations from the 1980s Shining, as directed okay, now, by Mike Flanagan. Now, this moment right here, before the monsters show up, when she's like stabbing that wound in his leg and sucking up his mist, that was almost good because it looks like she's fucking him and that she's like really like getting off on it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, where was this throughout the rest of the movie? Like, where was this 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 element? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they look, bring it in right at the end. It's all the boxes that he has in his head where he's kept all this, right? That's how they explain it. Oh, oh no, man, that boxes. reminded me of Dreamcatcher too. Yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, I was gonna say, how how often does Stephen King do this mind palace bullshit? <laughs> oh god, we're watching the the team up here happen as they kill Rose the Hat. But yeah, in uh, Dreamcatcher, Jonesy goes to a library in his head, and then you're first introduced to it through. Oh God, the great party guy sucks. There's fucking yeah. Joe Turkle. Uh horrible. <laughs> um 
but in in this movie you have Abra who just appears without eye sockets for some reason. They decide to make her a little creepy as she's tricking Rose the Hat into putting her hand into a file or something, and then the skin on her hand gets pulled off, and she's like, "Oh fuck, who cares about that? My friend is dying, and it's the giant from Twin Peaks." So it's uh, not visually effective, especially when all the cabinets and the files are CGI. Yeah, well, and it's also like that's like. Other than the kid getting killed, that's like the most harrowing scene in the movie, and it's happening to the monster. Yes. Like, yeah. you're more frightened for the monster in that moment than you are for any of the human characters at any point in the movie. I do think that the most effective moment of the film is when they're killing Jacob Tremblay, the little baseball player. That that reads but, as fine for a moment before they decide to take it over the top and get real goofy with it but it's entirely on him mm -hmm. like he's the only reason that scene is so memorable like yes. all the shit they're doing and even they're like they're like cutting him they had this fucking gay little knife and you just get these little spurts of blood like it's it's all in his performance if they had a lesser actor in that scene yeah it would be straight out of cw which he he's slumming it doing this movie immediately after room where he played like a like a trapped child who spent his entire life in a room and I with believe Brie he might Larson. Have been, yes, he might have been nominated for an Oscar or something. I don't, I don't recall, but yeah. much much better um, film than Doctor Sleep. Uh, Hans, on this go around, did you pick up anything new in your hatred? Uh, uh, I don't think anything. Well. Yeah, it was clearer, so I hated it more. I, I couldn't see it as well before, so uh, the look of it w didn't bother I mean, it did bother me. But, well, is, uh, is there anything you liked? No, when it ended, just because it was done, that's it. I think... Because they do the Shining Reprise music, the last podcast on the left theme song. Is that oh, why you yeah. reminded you of yeah. that? Yeah. No, I just... I, I no, I hated it. Uh, the whole, the whole ending where he his mom gruffs his face and then he turns from a boy to an adult. Just in case you didn't understand that, that's who it was. It's just, it's completely irredeemable. I don't think I'm ever going to see this again. I there's no reason to rewatch this. It, it just sucks. It's just a miserable experience through and through. And I, it's the worst movie I've seen this year. And I've seen really bad movies um but this has been the one that i hated the most i don't know if ever i don't want to say that but i yeah nothing there's there's nothing that was done well here nothing that i enjoyed it's just just hated it what about you wolfman is there anything that you find redeeming about this movie well i i liked uh rebecca ferguson's performance as uh rose the hat even though i don't think that portion of the movie is effective. Like she was really the only, she was the only charismatic person on screen. Um, and yeah, I felt like it was wasted. I felt like she deserved a better movie. They all did. Everyone, everyone deserved a better film. We certainly did. Um, but that's about it. Uh, yeah. Hans, to your point. Yeah. That ending where he sees his mom, why the fuck does he see his mom? She didn't die there. Like he should <laughs> see his dad and that should be where Jack Torrance is redeemed like and and that would that would like seal the deal with uh redeeming the kubrick version in the eyes of stephen king 
Mm. But they didn't do that because they hate fathers and sons. And uh, Danny has to die so that uh, so that Abra can shine on. Right. In this movie, in this movie where a multi-ethnic polycule uh, stalks the American heartland, killing white children, uh, Danny has to die in the end for the benefit of the magic black girl. And I believe we end on the like, the you know, it bookends on Abra being like, oh, yeah dad's alive in in the afterlife and we talk like no one gave a shit about your fucking dad this was no. danny's movie you should be talking about danny you know but we don't get that it's her dad who died off screen who cares about him and then that's that that's the end the future is looking bright <laughs> <laughs> nothing Oz you got, no. you got nothing I thought you were gonna cut it I, yeah I thought I thought you were about to say something no you just seem sad and disgusted yeah just just stop giving this man work he sucks well He's... actually his new Netflix show I believe it's not performing well the fall of the house of Usher is not getting as rave reviews as I think his, do. yeah so he's done a couple of different shows for Netflix now and his whole thing is he wants to recreate that homey small town feeling that a lot of the Stephen King properties do but infuse new age atheism into that so it's literally like if you went to Portland Oregon right now and that's not charming that doesn't really work for spooky spirits and horror if it's like yeah I don't believe in that I don't believe in spirits okay but somebody has to in order for this to work. So what what the fuck are you going to do here? Now, he did the, I think it was Hill House as a yeah, series. Yeah, The Haunting of Hill House. And, and then another one, uh, something about an island or something. Uh, it was, yeah. he, he did Haunting of Hill House, which I saw and I actually kind of liked. Uh, That's it, been the, did... the least reprehensible thing he's done, and I still couldn't get on board with it. Yeah, it's it, and then he did The Haunting of Bly Manor, which I didn't watch. And then he did... Uh, Midnight Mass, which everyone swears by, but like I, I saw just like the the thumbnail for it, and I saw like the minister, and I was like, Midnight Mass, I'm not watching that because mm-hmm. uh, I already fucking know what it's gonna be. I uh, watched maybe four episodes of Midnight Mass just because mm-hmm. I was like, you know what, I'm in the mood for something new that I would never watch, and I know I'm gonna dislike, so I'm gonna <laughs> put on Midnight Mass. And it, 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 you're right, Wolfman. It, you can read exactly what that is just from the poster alone with the yeah. hip young priest. And uh, no, it's it's shit. It's bad. And it's it's all the characters that I described of like, oh, you know, it's a small town and she's got like a uh, rough around the edges boyfriend. And yeah, nobody believes in the afterlife or Christianity in this town, which yeah. it doesn't work for what you're doing. So, you know, it's that lack of commitment to, okay, we're going to go all in on what is required for this. Mm -hmm. And hopefully people wise up. seems like maybe with this one, people are starting to wise up and his workload will gradually slow because he is just a new version of Mick Garris or any one of these guys who picks up the Stephen King properties and runs through them and does a cheap version. Well, I have noticed that like everyone I know who digs all of Mike Flanagan's shit is a girl. Mm. Uh, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's the case with you guys, but all the Mike Flanagan fans I know are women, which I find interesting because uh, one thing I respect about Mike Flanagan is that he's got a thing for hot brunettes. 
and he puts them all throughout everything he does. He uses well, one, Carla Gugino in one almost of them everything. His, he married one of them, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wife, Kate Siegel. I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And uh, but but the the real the real case against Mike Flanagan, and that really proves that he's not an artist, is that he did that movie Gerald's Game, and in the book the woman is naked, chained to the bed. And this man had the opportunity to have Carla Gugino <laughs> chained to a bed naked for an entire movie, and he didn't fight for that. And at no point she is, right? No, she's in a negligee, which is fine. But no, he, he cheated us all that day. And that, <laughs> uh, you know, William Friedkin would not have compromised there. Uh, he he would have, yeah, he would have insisted full nudity for the, the full run of the film. Well, what I'm hearing about William Friedkin is he has a pension for little Filipinos as as men is what I'm hearing these days. I don't oh, really, but yeah, I, I don't know. Tune into that's, the next episode of movies to find that's, out. That's that's just that's just slandering a, a dead man who can't defend I, himself. I would certainly hope so. I mean, it would be very shocking if that turned out to be the case. But no, you're, I I think you're absolutely right. And you know, there is a study that just came out today or yesterday that says Gen Z has had enough of sex and sexual things in their movies. They're done with it. It disgusts them. It makes them sick. You know, they want friendship and platonic friendship, you know? So I, I get where maybe Mike Flanagan is just, just trying to appeal to the younger audience. Why can't you have both? A nude platonic friendship sounds great. No, no, but I mean, like, you have, like, you have a main character and his buddy, who he's mm -hmm. a platonic friend with, and then you have the hot broad and they smash in the end. I don't, I don't, I don't see why that's a problem. That's the, that's a classic formula. Yeah, you know, it's it, it stood the test of time. Uh, I th I think it'll make a comeback soon. I think I actually don't think that study is correct at all. I think it's bullshit. People think about what's been hot and what's been a lot of the talk and gossip. It's the idol. It's things like that where there's something provocative. Blonde was the the, the talking point of the moment last year. You know, so I I, I don't buy that at all. I think it is going to make a comeback. And I actually have more faith now that some of the better directors are going to slide through the cracks and get work since we do seem to be softly coming out of this moment of, oh, everything has to be this rigid PC form. It starts with women. Women have to get on board with whatever the new thing is. Mm. And then the rest of the culture shapes to that. And I think Red Scare has put a dent in what they're willing to entertain. I think we're going to wrap up episode 300 on that note. So Wolfman, where would you like to direct people? Oh, uh, folks, you can follow me on Twitter at D E T underscore Wolfman. Uh, you can also check out my rock and roll radio show on the beat with detective Wolfman at SoundCloud. It's a SoundCloud exclusive. Uh, and for now that's all I've got, but I have some things uh, in the mix for you to look forward to in the near future announcements soon to soon to come. Excellent. Excellent. And you know what? I just watched the swimmer recently based off you guys covering that for drunk on movies. And Oh yeah. I really enjoyed that film. I thought that movie was uh, very interestingly shot. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll definitely say that some of the lenses used in just the, the crazy depth of feel. And I don't know, it's a very enjoyable movie. So if you want something other than Dr. Sleep to watch, check out the swimmer and check out, that episode of Drunk on Movies, and also on the beat with Detective Wolfman, of course. Now, Hans, you look like you're playing Minesweeper here. You look like you checked out of the episode when you lost all your 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 passionate hatred during that last go. What do you want people 
to look for when they think of Hans Lombarboza? Nothing. Don't look that up. <laughs> Your LinkedIn account? What? Your family yeah, Facebook account? My job profile. My, uh, yeah. Nothing. I don't know. Fucking Twitter. Uh, H word name there. Um, um, watch me tweet at politicians and get banned again. What politician? I haven't seen Twitter <laughs> a politician in a while. Yeah. I, I learned. I learned. My, I still, I, I try to, uh, Look for my older, remember my old uh, account, and it's still accounts. Elon didn't bring them back because of what I said to that shooting boy. What was his name? The shooting boy. David uh, Hogg. Uh, David Hogg. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, maybe yeah. we need to, for episode 301 or 302, we have to watch The Insurrectionist Next Door, which was recommended to me right after Doctor Sleep. And that is directed by. Alexandra Pelosi. Oh, wonderful. So, glad yeah. that HBO and Warner Brothers and Discovery are still in the propaganda business, still making those documentaries. And they also just added a news tab on Max. So if that's I where you want to go. Yeah. Well, the, they, what they were toying with the idea of before was doing CNN bulletins at the bottom of the screen when you're watching movies and TV shows on there. So I really thought Zaslov was going to fix things, and he's just driving things into the fucking gutter even harder. So, all right. Well, hopefully that's not something that they wind up rolling with. But, Wolfman, thank you for joining us for episode 300 to talk about Dr. Sleep. It has been uh, great discussing this and obviously Silver Bullet with you last week. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. The pleasure's all mine. All right. That has been Movies for this 300 episodes. Thank you for listening.